So on one on three, since we've been um, reciting the verses of Psalm 103, I think for the last two to three months now, at the beginning of our worship services, and uh, you've been encouraged to memorize them, I thought in this in-between time between finishing up the Gospel of Luke and before Advent begins, we would uh, spend a couple of Sundays hearing God's word from Psalm 103. So uh, taking the first 12 verses this morning and then we'll finish up, Lord willing, next Sunday with the second half of the psalm. So Psalm 103, Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love Toward those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. We pray that as we listen to your word together, that we would recognize that your word does not merely impart information, but your word actually creates life. It's not just descriptive, it is effective. And we pray, Lord, that it would be effective for us this morning, that we would hear your word as God speaking to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. But this morning in our Sunday school class um, that I lead, we're going through the book of, of Kings, and this morning we're in 1 Kings 22, which is... Uh, a sad yet entertaining story about the demise of Israel's King Ahab. At the beginning of the chapter, King Ahab is meeting with King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and Ahab brings up his desire to go to war against the Assyrians, his neighbors to the north, because of their occupation and control of one of Israel's cities that's on the border of their nations. And Ahab was ready to go to war, but knew that he needed support from Judah to succeed. So he asked King Josaphat if they could join forces to take on their northern enemies. And Josaphat immediately agrees, committing both his army and his army's horses to the war effort. But then, kind of as an afterthought, Josaphat says to King Ahab, but first... Shouldn't we inquire for the word of the Lord? And that request begins a humorous tale of Ahab seeking to make the word of the Lord line up with his desires, 
leading King Ahab to be killed in the very war he so desperately wanted to fight. Which shows us disregarding God's word is deadly. Disregarding God's word is deadly. And it struck me how, how, how like Ahab we are. How like King Ahab we have become and yet we don't even realize it. We operate in much the same way that this wicked, foolish king was operating in how he led Israel. We rarely think of God. When we make our plans, when we have conversations with others, as we make our way through each week doing this and doing that, the word of the Lord is rarely on our minds. And thus, we, we live like practical atheists. We, we, we may go to church each Sunday, and maybe we think about God a little bit when we sing and, and pray and, and hear his word, but, but usually by the time the service ends and we've begun to talk about the latest news with others, well, God has once again been forgotten. We live our lives day by day as if, as if God doesn't exist as if he has no say in what we are doing. And Psalm 103 is a psalm that David is writing to address that problem. And it is a grave problem. For it led to the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel because of their idolatry and their unbelief. They're, they're trying to control what, what God's word says to, in order to to match it up with what they wanted to do. And you see, if we aren't remembering and fearing the true God, we will also make up gods of our own to follow and worship, which will never be able to heal us or save us from judgment. David had his flaws, but he was a far greater king than Ahab ever was. He didn't intentionally lead his people to forget about the Lord. Instead, he wrote psalms like this one to help his people to remember. These words are not just the words of David, but are the very words of God to direct our attention once again toward who he is and who we are and how much, how much we need him. So our main theme from, from this passage this morning is be sure to regularly remind yourself of how gracious and merciful the Lord is toward undeserving sinners like us. Be sure to regularly remind yourself of how gracious and merciful the Lord is toward unbelieving sinners like us. Now there are 150 psalms uh, and Psalm 103 is probably on everyone's top 10 uh, of, of their favorite psalms. Uh, for many, it's probably even made the, the top five. Uh, I don't know where it might rank with you, uh, but it is one of a handful of psalms that from start to finish focus our attention on praising God for his grace. It's a remarkable psalm for us to think about and to remember. And as I mentioned, the, 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 the psalm's focus is on reminding us 
who God is, particularly in relation to how sinful and needy we are. So there's this contrast uh, throughout the psalm, especially in the verses we're going to look at this morning. Uh, We're just covering the first 12 verses here this morning, and they're divided up into three sections, uh, verses 1 through 5. We'll remember that the Lord is wonderfully gracious considering our helplessness. He's wonderfully gracious considering our helplessness. And then in verses 6 through 9, we'll remember the Lord is committed to being relentlessly kind considering our ungratefulness. And then verses 10 through 12, we'll remember the Lord is magnificently gracious and merciful considering our unworthiness. So let's first look again at verses 1 through 5. Remember, the Lord is wonderfully generous considering our helplessness. So the psalm begins uh, with David talking to himself. Uh, giving his own soul a command, bless or praise the Lord, O my soul. But not just his soul, blessing and praising the Lord, but all that is within me, he says, bless or praise his holy name. David's concern comes to us in verse 2. There he's commanding his own soul to forget not all the Lord's benefits or We could say blessings. And then he spends the rest of the psalm describing for us all of the Lord's benefits, his good gifts towards his people. Now, this forgetting that he's talking about here, uh, the forgetting that we're we're being warned against is not like forgetting your your keys as you leave your house, which which I do at least once or, or twice a week. Uh, this isn't like, you know, just forgetting to send a card for your sister's birthday. This, this forgetting is more along the lines of, of purposely neglecting to pay attention to the Lord and his gracious gifts, or willfully rejecting the Lord, and both ways would, dead, would, would, would be deadly for us to do so, both ways of forgetting. This was something the people of God were warned about way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm just going to turn back there to Deuteronomy chapter 8 because it's a major concern for Moses as he's preparing the people of God to enter into the promised land. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, God's word says, Take care lest you forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. So he's, he's warning them here, he's warning them, take care, don't forget the Lord. And he goes on, verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we need to listen to this as, he, again, he's warning the people as they're going into the promised land. He knows the Lord's going to bless them. The, Lord, the, the, the Lord's going to help them. They're going to have herds and flocks and good houses, live in them, and their, and their wealth is going to be multiplied. And he's saying that's a dangerous place for human beings like us to be. 
when, when, when we are pretty well off, when things are going well, that is when we are in danger of forgetting the Lord. He goes on, verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have got me this wealth. You shall re remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So that's the forgetting that David is warning us about in Psalm 103. It's, it's like forgetting that we owe our lives to those who have provided for us by doing incredibly great and selfless things for us. It's, it's like not honoring your mother and your father who gave you your life and who protected and provided for you when you were completely helpless and couldn't care for yourself. We just celebrated Veterans Day. And it's good and right for us as a nation to be reminded each year of the ultimate sacrifice so many made to defend our nation from those who would threaten our freedoms. We should be grateful for them. We should not forget them. And when we forget God, well, we, we live like we don't owe our very lives to him. Like we have earned all of what we have on our own without any help from him. When we forget the Lord and all his benefits, it leads to pride and self-importance taking over our hearts, and ultimately it leads to idolatry and condemnation. For as Paul tells us in, in Romans 1, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, forgot all about God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So remembering God and all his benefits is crucial for every believer. So, okay, what are we to make sure to remember? Well, verses 3 through 5 focus on some of the main benefits with forgiveness of all of our sins coming first there in verse 3. So this is primary. There, there is a reason why forgiveness of sins is listed first. It's, it's the most vital of the benefits. It, it is the first and the greatest of God's benefits towards us. For without forgiveness of sins, none of these benefits would even matter. Without forgiveness, we would remain under God's judgment. We'd be awaiting ultimate condemnation and hell. We'd still be at enmity with God. Forgiveness brings reconciliation with God. And as, as John, John Calvin puts it, he says, reconciliation with God is the fountain from which all other blessings flow. So this also shows us our helplessness right away here at the very beginning. For we are all guilty before a holy God. We are at enmity with him due to our very nature, which is inclined to disobey and disregard him. And we can do nothing to make ourselves right with him. We stand before God condemned 
And it would be just and right for God to cast us into hell. Our sin has brought upon us all kinds of misery, not just on us personally, but within families and communities and nations. Human history has revealed over and over again how helpless we are at solving our greatest problem, our problem of sin. But God has solved that problem through Jesus Christ. And David was also one that had known and had experienced the Lord's gracious forgiveness. Let us not forget this incredible benefit, this blessing. Although we, we, we love and can relate to the first part of verse 3, the forgiveness of our sins, the second half of the verse can leave us wondering, right? Who heals all your diseases? Now, every Christian has known and experienced the forgiveness of sins, but not every Christian has known or experienced God healing all your diseases. And even David knows that God did not heal all his diseases. For we know that one of David's infant sons was very ill and died, even though David fasted and prayed earnestly that he would be healed in 2 Samuel 12. We also know that David died of something as well. So this must point to something other than a promise that the Lord will grant physical healing to every disease that his people may be called to endure. When we compare what, what he says here, compare this line with the rest of the blessings listed in verses 3 through 5, we see that David is referring primarily to spiritual and not just physical graces. Uh, these benefits begin with the forgiveness of sins, which brings us into a restored spiritual relationship with God, which points us forward to when all of God's promises will be fulfilled for his people, not in this life, but in the life to come. Redeeming your life from the pit, he says there in verse 4. That's a reference to resurrection. Resurrection of our dead bodies from the grave. And then crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Speaks of the blessed distinction that God's forgiven people will have over other sinners on the day of judgment. That is, instead of being condemned on that day, we will be given mercy and welcomed into God's loving presence. And then it says, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, every, every Christian that is over the age you know, of 48, that's my age, knows that, look, you know, your youth is not just physically renewed every day, like, like the, the, the energy that, that an eagle seems to have. So this is not a, a physical blessing here. It is, a, it is a reference to the full restoration and renewal of life, what the New Testament refers to as eternal life, in the age following the Lord's renewal of all things. And that day to come will also be the time when we will fully and finally be healed of all the deadly diseases that our sin has brought upon our lives. For in that age to come, my friends, death shall be no more. 
So praise the Lord, bless the Lord, for he has and he will bless his people who have looked to him for forgiveness and redemption and ultimate satisfaction. And then in verses six through nine, we are to remember the Lord is committed to being relentlessly kind considering our ungratefulness. Look at verse six through nine. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. In these verses here, David takes us back to the days of Moses and the exodus from Egypt. He's pointing us to the Lord's great works, which for the people of Israel almost always meant looking back to their deliverance from Egypt. That was the great salvation event for them before Christ. Uh, The oppressed in verse six were the enslaved Israelites whom the Lord worked justice and righteousness for. Uh, This is what the Lord said to Moses on Mount Mount Sinai at the the burning bush. In Exodus chapter three, he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So the Lord worked righteousness and justice for them as he brought judgment upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, ruining their land, ruining their health and wealth through the nine plagues, and then killing the firstborn in each household in one dreadful night of his wrath. Justice for Pharaoh and the Egyptians by killing the male children of Israel and oppressing them in forced slavery. That's what they did, and so God brings justice on them by killing their firstborn. He then divided the Red Sea so his people uh, could cross over on the dry ground. And when the Egyptian warriors tried to pursue them, the Red Sea became the waters of judgment crashing down on them like the flood in the time of Noah, blotting out the lives of all of their men. And the Lord then made known his ways to Moses through the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And he performed many amazing, life-preserving acts, keeping the people alive in the wilderness, raining down bread from heaven every single morning, providing drinking water flowing out of rocks, defeating all of their enemies. They saw the Lord do some amazing things, all for their good off the preservation of their life. But how did they respond? What were the people in the wilderness most known for? They were known for the very thing that David is encouraging us in the psalm not to do. They didn't bless the Lord. They forgot all his benefits. They were known for their grumbling and complaining against the Lord, even going so far as saying they were better off in Egypt as slaves under the oppression of the Egyptians and they were being saved and blessed and cared for by the Lord. But of course, that was the Israelites, right? That, that, That was them. Thankfully, God's people have progressed. Thankfully, we've left the grumbling long behind us. 
Uh, there's a church in Northwest Iowa that I know very well and uh, have several friends and family members there. They have seen the Lord do some very encouraging works in and through them the past few years. The church is, is located in this dying, small, rural town of about 700 people, yet the church has been growing. Many young families, a lot of kids, they were outgrowing their facility and so had a building fund campaign for several years and they end up buying land to build a brand new, larger structure for their ministry. Uh, and then during that time, their pastor, though, who had been there for over 20 years, left for a new calling. And it took them a while, but uh, they were able to call a new pastor who lasted all of a year and a half. And the main reason why both pastors left, grumblers. Church members and others who should know better, being divisive, complaining to others in the, in the church through email and through Facebook messages about things they're not satisfied with, things that they're not happy with, threatening the pastors and the elders by, by uh, sending them anonymous letters uh, of their complaints and grumbling to them, making accusations, threatening to leave and take others with them, and many have left. And they had seen the Lord do great work in and through them. They were hearing the faithful preaching of the word of the Lord week after week, and they were ungrateful. Unfortunately, we're not all that different from our ancestors. And yet, and yet, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. David quotes the Lord's own self-description uh, from when he revealed his glory to Moses on Mount Sinai here in verse 8. When he passed by him while Moses was in the cleft of the rock, this is his description of his committed, unrelenting love and mercy toward his people, his commitment to them. His faithful love. And the Lord is just so unlike us in this. We make commitments to love. We make commitments to love, honor, and cherish until death do us part, and yet we know far too many who have broken that commitment to faithful love. But the Lord has never broken his commitment to his people, and he never will. Again, look at verse 9. Verse 9. If we hurt someone by something we may have said or did or neglected to do that we should have done for them, we are so used to people holding on to their anger, holding grudges against us. Because so often we do the same thing to them. If they have hurt or disappointed us in any way, we hold on to that. We remember that. We continue to hold that against them. And it is remarkable how long some of us can hold a grudge. I mean, we'll let go of the money that we have in our savings accounts much quicker and with far less reservation than we'll let go of our grudges against someone. And yet he 
will not always try, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not like us. The Lord is not like us, and we are so, so blessed that he isn't. For the Lord is committed. He's committed to being relentlessly kind, even though we can be so ungrateful to him. And let's also remember, the Lord is magnificently gracious and merciful, considering our unworthiness. This is in verses 10 through 12 here. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David highlights our unworthiness in these three verses. He points out three different descriptions of our sin. We could even say three different types or categories of sin. There is this general word uh, for sin in the first part of verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins. And that would refer to the actual disobedient acts against God's law, doing what God has forbidden, as well as not doing what God's law says should be done. We're all guilty of these sins uh, in both ways. Then in the next line of verse 10, we're told that the Lord doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Uh, we're guilty of sins and iniquities, which, which points to the hidden defect or inclination towards evil within our hearts that give rise to sins. As Christ taught in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he says, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, not over yet, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things, Christ says, come from within, and they defile a person. Our iniquities. As the old saying goes, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Our hearts are full of iniquity. Finally, in verse 12 of Psalm 103, we hear the last of the sinful trinity, our transgressions. This word describes the, the willful rebellion um, which says no to the will of God. We never sin by accident. We willfully transgress what we know to be the Lord's will. We defy the holy creator God who is righteous and just and must condemn sin and sinners for the wages of sin is death and the soul who sins shall die. The prophet Ezekiel warned Israel in this way in Ezekiel 33.10. He said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? How then can God allow us to continue to live with this, this weight of our transgressions and sin upon us all the time? The Bible's consistent testimony is that sinners stand condemned before a holy God and deserve to die and suffer his wrath forever. 
And when we sin against an infinitely holy God, we deserve an infinitely terrible punishment. So considering our unworthiness, we deserve the worst from God. But instead, in Psalm 103, we are being called to praise this infinitely holy God because rather than pouring out his judgment upon us for our sin, he has done something incredibly kind and gracious for us with our sins. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Think of David. Think of how David knew this grace and mercy. He knew they were a part of God's nature, for that's how God uh, revealed himself to Moses. That's how God described himself to Moses, which David quotes in verse 8. David had experienced God's grace and mercy in the forgiveness of his own sin, even his grievous sin of greed, of adultery, of deception, of murder, and many more. He knew that God was like this. He knew that God was forgiving. He knew that God removed transgressions as far away as east is from the west. He knew that this was God. But he didn't know how God could be like this. How is God able to forgive sin and still be righteous, still be just? How is he able to do this? The how had not yet been revealed even though there were, there were plenty of clues in the scriptures and in the history of, of God's people. He knew he was like this. He just didn't know how he could be. But we know. We know. We know how. We know that David's sins and our sins were put upon the Son of God when he laid down his life for us on the cross. By the divine Son of God becoming man and dying the death we all deserved, suffering the full weight of the wrath of God for our sins, for our iniquity, for our transgressions, he then removed those sins from us and cast them as far away from us as they could possibly get, as far away as the east is from the west. God did this out of his immeasurably great love for us, which is as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. If you have confessed your sin before God, if you have repented of your sin through your faith in Christ and you, and you fear the Lord, your sins are gone. Your sins are gone and they aren't ever coming back. The Lord will never bring them up with you again. You might bring them up with you again. You might do that. You might still struggle to get over the guilt of your sins. You may still accuse yourself, or, or you, you may feel and even hear the accusations of our enemy in your head, you know, digging up those sins, reminding you of them. But you must know this. 
That's not what God does. That's not God speaking to you. He will not punish you for the sins that he's forgiven and taken away. For he is faithful and he is just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you but put your hope and faith in Christ. Confess those sins to him. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Oh, compared to our unworthiness, the Lord is so magnificently gracious and merciful. So brother and sister, remember this. Remember this. Forget not all his benefits. Recall daily who the Lord is. Meditate on his grace, his mercy, on the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf and praise him, worship him, magnify him, not just for a few minutes on Sunday morning, but each and every day as you live your lives to serve him for his glory. And if you are not someone who knows this gracious God, if you are not someone who has experienced the peace, the joy, the forgiveness of your sins, if you have not put your faith in him and fully entrusted your soul into his care, I plead with you, I plead with you this morning to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ and abandon all hope in your good works, thinking you're good enough of a person in your own right. Repent of your pride, repent of your self-righteousness and trust in the person and work of Christ on your behalf. Come to him. Get to know him. And you will want to praise and glorify him along with David and along with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the psalm. We're so grateful for all of your benefits to those who fear you, to those who put their hope and faith in Christ alone. Oh Lord, help us. I pray for those this morning who have not experienced that grace, who are questioning whether or not they really are going to be with you forever. Oh Lord, draw them to yourself. Show them Christ. Give them eyes to see and give them faith to believe. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.